0: Good morning. My name is Adam Venable, and I'm the campus minister over at UAB with our denominations campus ministry called RUF. That's where I do campus ministry. And I hadn't planned on saying this, but I didn't want to just say thank you for praying for me and for other pastors. It it really means a lot that you are praying for me and our family and other pastors who are ministering right now, so thank you. But... Uh, Right now, our ministry is very uncertain, like most things uh, in life. Um, Types of ministry that we've taken for granted at UAB, we can't take for granted anymore. And when I get my notepad out, and I'm looking at what we can do in the fall to do gospel ministry at UAB, and I kind of come up with the list that I think this is the things that we can do, suddenly something changes, and I have to erase something off the list or add something back onto the list and... It has been overwhelming. And it's also been hard for me to feel grateful. There's been moments where, personally, it's been hard for me to feel grateful for the ministry that God has given us on campus. And I think that's something that many of us have struggled with. Lord, how can I feel grateful with everything going on right now? A news story that I came upon recently this is from The Independent, it's a news website. And this story is about the pop singer, I don't follow her normally, but Katy Perry. It says earlier this year, she's pregnant I guess right now, uh, Katy Perry reflected on her state of mind during the coronavirus crisis, and she admitted that she was experiencing waves of depression. Katy Perry said, sometimes I don't know what's worse, trying to avoid the virus or the waves of depression that come from this new norm. She wrote this on Twitter and I guess that struck a chord with a lot of her followers. It said that she received a lot of support, having admitted this on Twitter. And she says, gratitude is probably the thing that saved my life. Because if I hadn't found it, I would have wallowed in my own sadness. She says, but I found ways to be grateful. And if it gets really, really hard, I walk around and I say, I'm grateful. I'm grateful, even though I'm in a bad mood. And she didn't use the word bad there, but you get the point. And the coronavirus has been bad, and it's it's affected us in so many negative ways, but gratitude is powerful, isn't it? You have those moments where you feel grateful, and it's as if you could stand up to anything. And there could be a hurricane going on over your head, but you feel so grateful that it doesn't matter. Gratitude is powerful. And so this morning, if you long to feel grateful, despite everything that's going on, this psalm is especially for you. This is Psalm 107, and I'm going to read it. This is Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, and their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man, for He satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shadows the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord and their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed, and then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord. For his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water a parched land and the springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield and by his blessing they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless waste. But he raises up the needy out of affliction. It makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to consider your steadfast love Help us to consider your goodness, to see it clearly so that we might praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are looking in the book of Psalms today, which is considered to be one of the most important books in the whole Bible. And in one of the most important books of the whole Bible, we're in one of the most important Psalms in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms has several nicknames that tell you how important it is. The book of Psalms has been called by Christians angels' food and a feast and a royal banquet. It's been called a little Bible, the book of Psalms. And Psalm 107, we don't know exactly who wrote it, but we can guess that it was probably written about 500 years before Jesus was born, after Israel had returned from exile. God's people Israel in the Old Testament had been sent away from their land into exile, and then God had gathered them It says, if you look in verse 3, Gather them from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And the purpose of this psalm is to encourage us to praise God because of His enduring, steadfast love, because He is good. The purpose of this psalm is to encourage us to praise God because His steadfast love endures, and He is good. And there's there's four scenes of praise and gratitude because of God's steadfast love. So we're just going to look at these. Uh, I know I'm breaking the eternal preacher's law here. We're supposed to have three points. We've got four. Try to make them shorter. Here we go. This is scene one. Uh, God's faithful love and our gratitude. Scene one is a city for those who don't have a home. A city for those who don't have a home. Jerusalem had been the greatest city in all the world, and Jerusalem was the greatest city not because it had the most wealth, but because God had decided to live there. He had made Jerusalem his home, and because God lived there, it was the greatest home to all of Israel who lived in that same city. But Jerusalem had taken for granted this city, and they had used this city for their own benefit. And because of that, God had sent them away, sent Israel away into exile as a punishment. For the ways that they had turned away from him. And so the greatest city in the world had lost its glory. God allowed the temple to be destroyed. All because Israel had turned away from God. And had used the city for their own benefit. And I think uh, the secular and the religious view of, of the city is very, is very similar. Think of New York City. Sometimes characterized as a secularized city. Uh, They called New York City the Big Apple. It's the place where you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Your dreams can come true, New York City. The secular view of the city, it just tends to view the city as a place uh, for you to use for your own benefit, for your own dreams. What happens when, when we just use the city? Inevitably, the poor get oppressed when we just used the city. And the religious view is very similar for different reasons, I think, sometimes. Religious people can look at the city and say, you know, it's just full of vice. The city's full of sinners. It's no good. The only thing it's good for, in fact, is for us to use it, to get what we want out of it. You see this in Charleston, South Carolina. What's the nickname of Charleston, South Carolina? The Holy City, right? That's what they call Charleston. Middle of the 19th century, they called it that, all the while oppression and violence of the slave trade was happening right there. Religious people using the city instead of loving it. Israel was no different. They had used the city uh, to make themselves rich, and God had sent them away in exile. That's the bad news. Uh, What's the good news? What's the good news for people who abuse the city? It says in verse 7 that he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Those who'd forfeited every right to live in the city, God gave them a new city. Um, Look again towards the end of our psalm in verse 36. There he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. God loves to make a city for those who've become homeless because of the way they've abused the city. God loves to provide a place for us to dwell with him when we don't deserve to dwell with him anymore. And especially if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, this is what I would ask you to consider. What if the justice and the peace that you long for, you long to see happen in the city of Birmingham and the cities everywhere, what if the only way that can happen is when God dwells in the city again, when he dwells in your own heart And when he comes to dwell in the city of Birmingham, what if that is the only way that you'll ever really feel like you've come home to the city that God made you to dwell in? God's the only one that can do it. But when he does it, we cry out, praise you, O Lord. And we thank you and we're grateful for the ways that you have given us a new city to dwell with you in. Uh, The second scene of God's faithful love and our gratitude, you see in verse 10, it says, Some sat in darkness, in verse 10, in the shadow of death. Uh, They're prisoners in affliction. Why? Why do they dwell in the shadow of death? Why are they prisoners of affliction? It says they have rebelled against the words of God. It says they've spurned the counsel of the Almighty. Israel had become prisoners... And slaves Because they didn't listen to God God had said Look, my ways are the best ways Please listen to me But Israel had turned away from God And because of that They would become prisoners And affliction Exiles in Babylon And in Assyria And is that just an Israel problem? Is that just a Jewish problem They had uh, back then During the time of the exile? I don't think so You know what it feels like to be a prisoner. If you've ever struggled with addiction, uh, a pastor is a friend of mine, you know, he loves to say that not every element of addiction involves sin. Not every part of addiction is sinful. But every sin involves dynamics of addiction. Every sin does. You know what it feels like to be a prisoner? If you've ever had sin in your life that you feel like I hate this about myself. It's ruining me and I can't stop. I'm a prisoner. Um, Side note here, not my main point, but some of you who know Jesus and love Jesus and you want to be more like Jesus in your life, um, we call this growing in godliness. We say this even in our UF and campus ministry um, where I work. We want to grow in godliness, become more like God. And that doesn't mean becoming a god, but it means becoming having more and more of the love of God in your heart, becoming a godly person. And one of the things that means from this passage is that when you hear the cry of the distressed people who are in pain especially when those distressed people are in pain because of their own fault it's something that they've done that's gotten them into the mess that they're in you are never allowed to say well it's your own fault I don't know what to tell you you've made your bed now lie in it that's wickedness that's to be ungodly right? God, when he hears the cry of the oppressed, especially when their oppression is their own fault, he loves to burst the bonds of the oppressed. He loves to bless those who are in distress, especially when it's their own fault. And if you want to be godly, that's who we ought to be. Those that when we hear a person or a group of people who are in pain and and they're, they're there, I keep repeating this phrase, I don't know how else to say it, but it's their own fault. When we hear their cry, our knee-jerk reaction is not judgment, but I want to show mercy, and I want to bless. Side note over. If you're here this morning, and uh, you believe in Jesus, but you feel like you're still a slave to your sin. You feel like, look, I'm, I feel like I'm addicted to this thing, and it doesn't matter how hard I try, I can't free myself from it. Do you know what the good news is? He loves to set prisoners free. He loves to burst the bonds of those who've been enslaved. And in Jesus Christ, you are free. Now, you may not feel like it. And you're now free, uh, not so that you don't have any struggle anymore, but Jesus has freed you so that you can now struggle against whatever sin this is in your life. You're free to struggle against it, not struggling to be free from it, if you're in Jesus Christ. How else does this apply? One more thing, think about this. Why do we gather together for worship on Sunday mornings? I think we're asking that question more than ever right now. Why do I need? Why do I uh, even need to show up Sunday morning? Things are so different. Why do we get together? Is it to hear the music the way we love it, the way we've always loved it? Um, it's it's different right now, isn't it? Is it to have the Lord's Supper just like we want it, the way we've always loved it? It can't be that. What I would submit to you is the reason we get together on Sunday mornings, that for those of you watching at home, the reason that uh, we, we gather together to watch a worship service, even, for, even from our own house, it is because we were once prisoners, slaves, and the Lord Jesus Christ has burst our bonds apart. He has freed us so that we can now say, thank you, Jesus. That's why we gather together on Sunday mornings. Scene number three of God's faithful love and our gratitude is the healing of the sick. It says in verse 17 that some were fools and through its sinful ways, because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. It says they drew near to the gates of death. Israel, it says, had uh, suffered affliction because of their iniquities and because of their sinful ways. What does the Bible mean by sin? What's sin? Sin is anything besides God that you base your life around anything that you look at besides God and you say that 's what i 've got to have in order to be happy that 's the sin in your life and uh, Scripture is saying that it 's making you sick it 's killing you, making something that 's not God to be a God in your life and um, the bad news of the gospel, let me say this clearly. The bad, this is the bad news of the gospel that we're talking about. It's not It's not just that the world is broken in a general way. We live in a broken world. We say that a lot. That's true, but that's not the, the point of the bad news of the gospel. The bad news of the gospel is that my heart, your heart, if we had our own way, we are determined to build our life around everything except the living God. Most of the time, good things that's what, the, that's what the bad news is. That we're determined to build our lives around so many good things that are not God. What could those things be? Good things, right? What about our kids, our children? Um, in ourselves, we would build Red Mountain Church. We would build our whole lives around our children. And the scripture says it will, that will make you sick. It will make you sick on the inside. It will kill you spiritually. What about providing for yourself, providing for your family, providing an income, a good thing? And scripture says if you make that into the ultimate thing in your life, it will make you sick. It'll eventually kill your family when you're working too much to see your wife and kids or to have any relationships at all. Or what about finding a husband or finding a wife? If you make that the main thing in your life, scripture says it will make you sick on the inside. What's the good news? Uh, The good news is that God loves to heal the sick. He is disposed to doing it. Uh, If I can put it this way, God gets up in the morning just looking for a sick person to heal. God looks out over the earth looking for someone who has made everything but him the main point of their life. Someone who's done that. And he loves to heal that person. Uh, It says that he sends out his word and he heals them. God loves to forgive those who've loved everything but him. He loves to give that that person new life. How much sin can God's faithful love endure? If you're here this morning and you're thinking, my sin is so great, God, he can't reach me. Um, God's love used to feel close to me, you, you might be thinking this morning. But not anymore. I have sinned too much and for too long. How much sin can God's faithful love endure? One writer that I read put it this way, that we are like children trying to carry water from the ocean with our hands. We cannot grasp the immensity of his steadfast love. We are like kids trying to pick up water from the ocean. We can't grasp the immensity of His steadfast love. It will endure all of your sin times a million and all the world's sin times a million. That's how immense God's love is. It's the love that He has for you. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that? That that's how immense God's love is for you? That's true. God's words promises that it is. There's one last scene of His faithful love and our gratitude. Only God's faithful love can make us grateful, can produce in us the gratitude that we long for, that can stand up to cancer and COVID-19 and injustice and whatever you throw at it. Only God's love can produce that kind of gratitude. And the final picture we see here is his faithful love is like freedom for, excuse me, I'm going the wrong way in my notes. Uh, His faithful love is like rescue from the storm like rescue from the storm, those who were drowning. That's what his faithful love is like. Verse 23, it says, Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. The picture here is that everyone else in Israel has gone off to exile, but there's some people that are so confident they're going to avoid exile by just doing the status quo, business as usual. They're here to make money, to provide for their families, uh, you know, to, to, to have a big house. And that's what they're going to keep doing. They're going to go out on the water and they're doing their business. And they're, I don't know, they're selling fish. They're doing commerce out on the waters. And the picture here is one of human potential and confidence. That humanity, despite God's warnings, believes that it has the potential to rescue itself, uh, humans think. That they're so confident and they're so great that humanity itself has the potential to save itself, Right? What is, verse, what is verse 25? So how does God respond to human potential, human confidence? What does God do? In verse 25 it says that God commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea and their courage melted and they staggered is another way to say it. In the face of human potential, in the face of human confidence, God causes the waves to melt and to melt our courage. It causes us to stagger, and many of us are feeling that right now with COVID-19. All the confidence that we thought we had, God has caused it to shrink. And the most sobering part of verse 25, I think, is uh, the, just the, the two words he commanded, that the storm is one that was commanded by God, foreordained by God. That God was sovereign over; He brought it about. You see this more towards the end of the psalm, and I've read this a few times, and I almost passed over it. It's one of those things you're you're reading the Bible. Sometimes you read a sentence and you think that definitely doesn't say what I think it says, and you read it again because you're so sure that it doesn't say that. But then you read it and you think that that does say what I thought it said, and I'm not sure about that. Look with me towards the end of the psalm. God's word says in... I'm going to find it. Verse 33. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground. God makes a fruitful land into a salty waste. In other words, he takes what is healthy and he destroys the health of it. Now, I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but this is God's word. He says it's for our good. This means that if God wanted to right now, he could turn Birmingham, God could turn Jefferson County into one big graveyard. God has the power to do that. But, he says, he loves to rescue. He loves to calm the storm. He loves to still the storm, it says in verse 29. God loves to hush the waves. He loves to quiet the waters, and he loves to bring us home to our desired haven. Though he would have every right to give us what we would deserve, instead he wants to bless us and to reveal the immensity of his steadfast love and his goodness to us. A story that I read just this week uh, in Argentina, I guess, Back in March, like a lot of countries, they canceled all the inbound flights in Argentina in March. But this man, Juan Balestro, I think I'm pronouncing that right, he was determined to see his family. And so this man set out from an island, a Portuguese island, and after 85 days of stormy weather, and he was denied access to the ports that he needed to restock on the journey, after 85 days, he arrives in Argentina in time to celebrate Father's Day with his 90-year-old father, this man. There is no one so far from God that his steadfast love can't find you. There is no one who is so sinful that the, the, the immensity of his steadfast love can't find where you are and rescue you and give you a home and heal you and burst the bonds that have enslaved you. Uh, there's no sin so massive that he can't forgive you. Hush the waters. And in the New Testament, there's a story about Jesus, and he's uh, on the sea with his disciples, and there was this storm that is so bad that it threatens to sink the boat. They're going to drown. What does Jesus do? With one word, he calms the storm. Jesus does. Why does he do that? Why does Jesus calm the storm? Is it just a trick that he's playing to impress them? No. Jesus calls the storm to say this. That God who promised to hush the waves and to still the storm, that God who hears the cry of the distress and rescues them, I'm that God. I'm Yahweh, Jesus says. And I've come to rescue you by dying for you, rising from the dead for you. And we are the people that needed that, Red Mountain Church. Um, We are the people that needed him to burst the bonds because we were prisoners, Red Mountain Church. We were the people that needed him to come when we were in the storm and to give us a home. And we still need him to do that. We still need Jesus to hear our cry. Because in the end, that is the thing that will produce in us a gratitude that's bigger than cancer, a gratitude that's bigger than COVID-19, that will, that will form in us a thankfulness to God. We'll praise Him in a way. It's bigger than when He breaks up with you or she breaks up with you. Uh, it is bigger than your experience of injustice. You may feel like the injustice is so big, it's overwhelming. And the gratitude of the steadfast love will produce in you, it's even bigger than that. And so, as we close this morning, let me just invite you Let's go to God together and cry out to Him together so that we can experience His steadfast love one more time so that He can form gratitude in us. It's unshakable. Let's pray together. Let's, let's do that. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we do cry out to You and to Your Son, the Lord Jesus. Uh, we feel like we don't belong anywhere sometimes. Um, being a mom and a dad or a son or a daughter, it does feel overwhelming like we're drowning. Uh, Being a husband or a wife, it can feel like we are prisoners, not free. We need you to show us your steadfast love in Jesus Christ. Um, Help us to praise you in the midst of uh, a virus, in the midst of injustice. Help us to praise you that we might be uh, a light to others that need your steadfast love as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.